It's a huge honor and privilege to be here this morning. I remember every time I would come back to New York, um, I, I always enjoy reconnecting with people, especially a lot of the men. And I remember always talking to Jake, and he always had a way of making me feel like when we talked about Freinschaft and we talked about ancestry, um, he always had a way of making me feel like I knew what I was talking about, <laughs> even though I didn't. And we would, you know, we would talk about, you know, people back two, three generations, and I would, like, finally a name would pop to my head, and I'd blurt it out there, and he would, yeah, yeah, and he would make, I always felt so at home and, and relaxed talking to Jake, and uh, even growing up, just his gentle spirit, his godly example, and I think heaven is rejoicing on the privilege of bringing a patriarch home. So, yes, to the blank, Stolzfus family, you're in our prayers, and the sting of death is indeed gone as we process the grief in the reality that because of the sacrifice of Christ, the sting of death is past, and we live in victory. I kind of knew that after the ordination in Virginia about a year ago, the handwriting was on the wall, and that I would probably eventually end up up here someday. And it's amazing how getting into preaching, all those things, the years that I grew up as a preacher's kid, they make so much more sense now. Um, and I remember when I was a teenager one time, Dathan, you were at, I think it was when my, my dad's dad was still living, I think you were at, a, you were at Grandpa's house. And, and we were talking, and there was a couple other men there, and you were going to preach the next day, and you, you said, I have to go home, i got to study to preach. And I think some of us guys are giving you a hard time about how preachers always preach past the deadline, you know, preach too long. And, and one of the guys just asked you, he said, well, why don't you just forget about studying and then just talk and quit on time? You know, if you, if you study, if you don't study, then maybe you won't have so much to say and you'll be able to quit on time. And David said, no, no, you don't understand. We study so that we figure out what not to say so that we can quit on time. <laughs> Indeed. So many good memories here, and it's such a privilege to be back. And I've been blessed this morning already. There's a story about these two lumberjacks, and every day from sunup to sundown, they'd go out into the forest and they'd cut wood, each with their own axe, 12 hours a day, swinging their axe all day long, cutting as much wood as they could trying to provide for their families, trying to make money, day in and day out. And one of the lumberjacks, every day at lunchtime, around 12 o'clock, he would disappear for about an hour. He'd come back at 1 o'clock, start chopping wood again. The second guy, he kept right on chopping wood the whole way through the day, didn't stop to take a break, didn't stop to do anything. He kept right on slugging away. But at the end of the day, the one who left for an hour always had chopped more wood than the second guy who never took the time to take a break or hang out or do anything else. And it bugged him so much because he wanted to chop more wood, but the guy that left for an hour always ended up with a bigger stack than he did. Finally, one day he asked the guy, he said, this is driving me crazy. He said, what do you do for that hour when you leave and come back and you still chop more wood than me? And the guy said, well, that's very easy. He said, I go home and sharpen my axe. Sometimes in the middle of craziness, of life, 
We try to do the right thing. We try to make right choices. We try to work through hectic schedules. And sometimes when we try to do the right thing, maybe sometimes we don't know always what the right thing is to do or what the next step is to take. And our human tendency is to try harder, to chop faster, to swing harder. And this morning what I want to talk about is the importance of just sometimes, instead of pedaling harder, take some time to sharpen your axe. And we're going to talk this morning about being in the presence of God. I've been studying a lot recently on the tabernacle. And we're going to go right to the Ark of the Covenant this morning in the holiest place. And I don't want this to to bypass the importance of the process of getting there through the sacrifice, the death of Christ, and our repentance. Extremely important. Um, And so I don't want to belittle that importance of of the process to get into the presence of God, to be in fellowship and in intimacy with the Spirit. Um, But I just felt led this morning to to talk about our privilege as God's people to be in that innermost place of relationship and intimacy with the Father. And I think it's so heavy on my heart because I've realized recently how often I squander that opportunity. The Ark of the Covenant... We all know kind of what it looks like, and the mercy seat was in the center there, this rectangular box, the mercy seat where the spirit, where the presence of God dwelt in the midst of his people, with the cherubims overshadowing the mercy seat, guarding the presence of God. And I don't believe this was because the presence of God needs protection, but more as a symbol that the presence of God is something that should fill us with wonder and awe, and something that we should approach with caution and due process through the blood of Jesus Christ, through repentance. And I believe King Solomon recognized what a privilege it was to be able to worship in the presence of God Almighty. In 1 Kings chapter 3, it's a story of when he had his dream, and and God came to him and said, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. As As the king of Israel, I'll give you whatever you choose. Say it, money, lands, prosperity, power, it's your choice. And King Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God blessed him and said, because you've you've asked for wisdom, I will give all this other stuff to you that you could have asked for. It says, after this dream that Solomon went to Jerusalem to worship before the ark in the presence of God, and it was during this time that the temple was being built and constructed, and and the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. And during this time, Uh, The people of God, Solomon in particular, it says he would go to these high places to worship God uh, because the the temple was under construction, the ark was in in Jerusalem. And so uh, during this this kind of transition period into the temple, Solomon would go to these high places to worship and pray and and seek the face of God. And after this dream, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go straight to the ark of the covenant, straight to Jerusalem. I'm going to worship before the presence of God. And he recognized What a privilege it was for him as a leader of God's people to take that time in God's presence. So you had the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat where the Spirit of God dwelt. And what I really want to talk about this morning is the the contents of the Ark of the Covenant. Because there were three items inside the Ark. Each one of them was symbolic of a particular event in Israel's journey through the wilderness. You had the, the, the golden pot of manna. 
um, which we know that you know, Israel was lacking food and they were grumbling and complaining and, and God said, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide this, this bread, these little white wafers for you to eat. We have Aaron's rod that budded and we have the stone tablets, the commandments of God. And each one of these is symbolic of something that Jesus Christ fulfilled by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And they are also symbolic of the privileges that we have as God's people in relationship with the Father. The Israelites were instructed to every day, once a day, to go out and gather enough manna for that day's needs. And every day on the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath day, they were allowed to gather twice as much so that they wouldn't have to go out and work on the Sabbath day. But there was very, very clear instructions to them that you go, you gather a specific amount, just enough for you and your family, one day at a time. And if they gathered too much, what was left over, the extra portion uh, that they were not supposed to have gathered would go bad, and it wouldn't do them any good anyway. And so, gathered daily, it was not to be stored up for later. They couldn't go out on Monday and, and store up a bunch for the whole week so that you know, they wouldn't have to gather again the next day. Only enough for that day. And even if they did gather extra for the subsequent days, it didn't do them any good because it went bad. It didn't last that long. As a husband and father and a provider for my home and um, fairly green at all of those responsibilities still, time is a commodity that holds a lot of value for me right now because I have a lot of good things to be involved in, I think. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to, to wake up in the morning and go to work and remember what I have to do today and to think that, you know, I had a good hour with God yesterday and I think that's good enough for the next day or two to get me through the temptations and trials and challenges of what I'm going to face today. But I believe more than just going to church once a week, more than spending an hour or two hours at one time just you know, really soaking in the words so that I'm good to go for a while. Instead, the heart of God is that daily time of sweetness with his children. That constant time of just sitting in his presence and reflecting on his goodness and worshiping him out of a heart of repentance and love and, and communion with him as one of his precious children. And I believe the truth in the word of God was never designed as something for me to stockpile so that I don't have to take the time to do it later. But as we go through life, the busyness, the challenges, the temptations, I want to challenge you. Do the short, daily, constant filling of the Spirit. The second item in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that budded. And it's the story from Numbers 16 and 17. It all starts with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their, and their rebellion against 
the leadership that God had ordained. And we all know what happened. Uh, they, were, they were swallowed up in the earth because they, they complained and they rebelled against the authority structure that God had put in place through Moses and Aaron. And they were swallowed up and, and then fire came down and destroyed a bunch of other people. And it says even after that, the people kind of complained and were you know, fighting and bickering and, and still kind of challenging Moses and Aaron. And so God decided to settle this once and for all. And so when he, he told them to bring a rod from each of the 12 tribes and to place it there. And he said the next morning, whichever one of these is, is budding and coming to life uh, is the one that I have indeed chosen to be the high priest. We know that Aaron's rod was the one that budded. It not only sprouted leaves, but it says it bore fruit. And it was a symbol of the absolution of the authority that God had put in place for his people. And I believe Aaron's rod that budded is a type of Jesus Christ. The the sprouting, the bearing fruit points to his resurrection. And I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's final stamp of approval and authority of his son, Jesus Christ, and his victory over death and the grave. And I think it's it's such a, a beautiful picture because as God's people... You know, we're not just here in our, our redeemed state to, to look pretty and to be a good presence, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have that resurrection life power on a daily basis. And I believe, I don't know sometimes if, I don't think Satan quite knew what God was up to when Jesus was put on the cross, when Jesus died. I believe when Jesus died, Satan thought he had really struck a blow. He probably thought he'd won it once and for all. But can you imagine how he felt when Jesus rose from the dead? How devastated he must have been as he realized that, you know what, this is really it. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to beat him. I believe when Jesus rose from the dead, just as Aaron's rod that budded was the sign from God that the authority structure that he put in place was indeed the correct one. I believe that Jesus' resurrection was God's stamp of approval and his sign to the world that Jesus' life and ministry and purpose was indeed fulfilled and was the final representation to the world that death is conquered And Jesus is indeed Lord of all. Last of all, we had the stone tablets inside the Ark of the Covenant. Representing the law. The standard that was set in place for the children of Israel to live by. And we know back in the Old Testament before the Spirit was was freely bestowed on all who would accept it. Before the death and resurrection of Christ, Israelites were held to this standard with great fear and precision. I'm going to read a couple verses here in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. 
says, There is thou therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit but after the Spirit. This is a beautiful picture here because the, the, the stone tablets were inside the Ark of the Covenant underneath the mercy seat where the presence of God dwelt. And I think it's remarkable sometimes that what was instituted to show us our need is often used by God's people to try to portray our righteousness. Because the law was never intended to set a mark for us to, to see that these are the things that we have to do be, to be right before God. That was never the intention of the commandments of Christ. The law was instituted simply to show us and bring us to the realization that we're not good enough. And we never will be good enough. And try as we may to do good things to measure up to the mark that has been set by God. The standard of holiness for his people we're not going to make it on our own. And that outside of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, there's no way we will be ever able to reach the mark of perfection. And it's a beautiful symbolism that the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is above the law is above the commandments because the standard that has been set forth for God's people is indeed an an impossible one for us to attain to but the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ his fulfillment of the law through his death and resurrection and his ministry and the openness the opportunity for us to participate in that reality brings us to perfection through Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 says, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ because you have fallen away from grace. We don't fall away from grace. We don't fall away from favor with God. When we sin, when we make a mistake as God's people, we fall away from his favor and his grace when we try to measure up to the standard on our own strength. When we use the law as a, as, as a height, a bar for us to, to claw our way to, to somehow reach that level of perfection that is needed to be in the presence of God. When we try so hard to do it on our own, to live up to the standards set forth for God's people. That's when we fall away from grace. When really the heart of the Father is not that we never make a mistake. It's not that we never stumble. It's for us to simply rest in his forgiveness and his grace and find perfection through Jesus Christ by our constant repentance or brokenness before him as his children. So many things have come alive to me in the past three years being a father being a dad 
Both of my children are, you know, now in different stages of development, different stages of growth, of progression in their physical abilities and their mental comprehension of life. One of them's three years old, and the inner man is really starting to show its face. The other one is, you know, he's fairly young and innocent, and he's a, he's a huge cuddle bug, loves to snuggle. Um, doesn't throw temper tantrums too often yet, but I love them both the same. And if either one of them was locked up on the other side of the world some, somewhere out of reach of rescue, there's no wall or nothing that you could put in my way that would stop me from going and rescuing either one of them because I love them so much. Despite their mistakes, despite the fact that they throw fits sometimes and, 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 and they fight and they quarrel and they're, they're so imperfect. And I trust that they will continue to develop and grow and mature. And if they don't, then that will be a problem for me. But right now, I understand that as my children, they are developing. And I expect them to make mistakes and I expect them to stumble. And that's okay. It doesn't make me love them any less. What really hurts is, you know, if I want to read them a story or I want to sit down with them and be with them and spend some time and they're just too busy, that really hurts. But it's okay when they mess up. I expect that from them. I know it's going to happen. And I trust that they'll continue to develop into the young man and the young lady that I think they will. But they don't fall away from my favor when they make a mistake. Not in the slightest bit, because I know that's going to happen. So this morning, with all the busyness here, I know it's been a crazy couple weeks, and you still got a lot upcoming here the next next several weeks with the funeral, with the ordination. I just want to remind you and remind myself what a treasure it is to live in this time of human existence where constant exposure and relationship and intimacy with the Father is so possible and free and open through Jesus Christ, through our cleansing, through exposure to the gospel, through our repentance and brokenness in his presence. Our access into that inner room of relationship, so full and so free, not because I'm measuring up and not because I'm doing all the right things, But I become worthy to be in the presence of God simply by my acceptance of his sacrifice and his love and my rest in the fact that I am perfect, perfect enough to be in his presence through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as I continue to accept what he's done. As I continue to surrender my own inner desire to somehow fulfill righteousness in my own strength. In Jesus Christ, as we continue to reach out, to dig in every morning, every evening, on a constant basis, day after day after day, it's plenty enough for what we need to face, whatever we're going to face. There's enough energy, there's enough strength, There's enough wisdom. 
as we do it day after day. And sometimes, most often, there's only enough for today. And that's really all we need. That's really all I need. The things of tomorrow, the concerns of tomorrow, they're going to take care of themselves tomorrow. All God calls us to do is reach out again and again on a constant basis, day after day, reach that place of intimacy with the Father. Continue to pursue his heart. And there will be plenty for today, but only enough for today. And that's all we need. As we pursue intimacy with Christ, we tap into that resurrection life power of the gospel through the death and resurrection of Christ. And his stamp of authority and victory over sin, the flesh, and the devil. And as we come into his presence, we can rest in the fact that as we continue to come before him in humility, brokenness, and repentance, as his stumbling children, we are complete and perfect before the Father through Jesus Christ. And that that high bar that was set through the law isn't something that we're supposed to continually grasp towards to reach righteousness. But it serves its purpose as it simply shows us our unworthiness and our need for Jesus Christ and our inadequacy to get there on ourselves, on our own strength. So the coming weeks, I just want to bless you all. As a church here at Silver Lake, it's always a privilege to come back here. And myself, as I go home, through all of life, whether it's a busy season or not, so many times there's challenges that we face that we're not quite sure how to address. And it's not that we don't want to do the right thing, but sometimes maybe we're not quite sure what the right thing is to do. Or maybe there's a relationship that you know is under some pressure and and you know you need to make it right, but you're just not quite sure how to go about it. We want to deal with our challenges in the correct way. But often we come up short in knowing what step to take next. So my challenge to you this morning is, in everything that's going on, if you want to do the right thing, but you're a place where you're not sometimes sure what that is, what the right thing is. Instead of swinging harder, trying to chop faster, pedaling at a greater speed, expending more effort to figure out what the right thing is to do next, what the next step is to take, stop trying to swing harder and take some time to go sharpen your axe. And I've come to the realization in my own life that Sometimes it is really just that simple. When life seems complicated and busy and hectic and it feels like I don't have enough to reach around, it helps so much to realize that I don't have to reach around to tomorrow's problems. And the ones even right now that I'm not sure how to reach around to, that's okay. Maybe it's sometimes just as simple as taking a couple minutes to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus be in the presence of the Father, to come to him as one of his innocent children in all of my unworthiness and all of my unknowing and just simply come to him and say, you know what, Father, I, I don't know what to do. 
Take some time to sharpen your axe. Take some time to pursue a deeper level of intimacy with the Father. Again and again. I find it amazing. The salvation message. What was accomplished on the cross and was accomplished at the resurrection. The fact that we're redeemed after we fell is an incredible reality. And I think maybe the second most incredible reality at times is how often we neglect and don't take advantage of that privilege. That ability to, any time of the day, just come to God as one of his children, to ask him for help, to be in his presence. With my children, they don't have to say anything special. All they have to do is come snuggle up on my lap and sit there and our relationship goes deeper without them even having to say anything. And so as we come to times in life, we're not sure what to do next. Maybe just take some time to sharpen the axe. Take some time to connect with the Father. Take some time to widen that stream of connection. And the knowledge, the strength, and the energy will be there one day at a time. Let's kneel for a word of prayer. morning, this beautiful fall day. Father, we just worship you for being our Father, for reaching down to us in our lost and hopeless state, for suffering so intensely to just create the opportunity for us to reach out if we so choose. Father God, instill in our hearts this morning the importance coming to you as your children in our brokenness and our inadequacies. Take away from us, Father, the, the self-inflicted pressure of needing to come to you with our own righteousness. But help us instead to come before you emptied of our own resources, surrendered, come to you with our needs as they are, Come to you as a first resort, Father. And give us the rest and the peace that comes through that intimacy, that relationship with you. Father, I pray for sober light this morning, coming weeks, the funeral, the ordination, over the past couple weeks with their busyness, and the blessings of different events. Father, Prosper them. Give them strength. One event at a time. One decision at a time. Thank you that the church of Jesus Christ is victorious. That the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That you are our king and our savior. That you've won the fight. And that all we have to do is stick with you. And that we have victory through Jesus Christ. We praise you for your goodness, for your love this morning. We're grateful to just be your children. Jesus' name. Amen.